Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Here's New York Sports Talk, a long suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are doing an all basketball episode of the podcast. NBA Finals just wrapped up. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Also, going to be joined shortly by my friends from the Sorry to Interrupt Podcast, Sean Rowe and Tom Bacchino. We do our annual NBA crossover. This time, we're going to sort of preview the offseason, talk about the NBA draft, what the Knicks and Nets could be up to in the in the summer here as they try and build championship contenders. The Knicks case simply just get back to the playoffs. So, We'll talk to them in just a bit. Also, stay tuned for this week's two-minute drum. I'm going to cover the latest ESPN 30 for 30. Dream on about the 1996 women's Olympic basketball team that won gold for the U.S. There's a three-part documentary dropped on Tuesday of last week. Watched it. Got my thoughts right at the end of the show. But if you want to subscribe to the podcast and you like what you hear on Just on the Suffering podcast, check out uh, Google Play. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all usual suspects. Just search for Just End the Suffering, all those favorite podcast platforms. You can find all, this, all the old episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well to help with the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube, for video versions of the conversations with Tom and Sean, as well as all the other video conversations with the guests throughout the run of the podcast. And without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to revisit the NBA Finals right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time, the 2022 NBA Finals are in the books, and the Golden State Warriors are back on top of the NBA. They close out the Boston Celtics in six games, and it's something that is funny. If you go back to November, December, you said Golden State's win the title. You said, okay, I can buy that. But if you watch them down the stretch here, it would not have been so short because this team finished third in the West. They won 53 games the regular season. I mean, Steph Curry was phenomenal, but... This is not this a vintage goals team that won those three titles in the four years. When you had Kevin Durant coming in to help them win a couple of rings, when you had Clay Thompson at his peak and not coming off an injury, Draymond Green at, at the peak of his powers, like this is not that same team. What they did was rely on a superstar form from Steph Curry, had some timely shot making from some of the key veterans. They got a lot out of Andrew Wiggins in this series, and to be sure. With a key performance against the Celtics. I mean, this series, they were down 2-1 to one in the finals in Boston for Game 4. And this is where Steph Curry has his finest hour, probably, of the season here. In this game, they end up winning by 10. By 10. He goes for 43 points, and they have 100, only 107 in the game. Just ridiculous. On the series, Curry led the... Warriors are scoring five to six games, 34 points game one, 29 game two, 31 game three, 43 game four, and 34 in the clincher last night on game five. Very worthy of his first NBA Finals MVP award. Just look at the fact that, you know, 
this was not the vintage Golden State team. Steph Curry put this team on his back. I talked about this before the finals with Martino Puccio that the key to the series was, can you limit Steph Curry in some way? And Martino said back then, if Curry's hitting his averages, the Celtics have a good shot at winning. Curry took over late in the series, and the Celtics couldn't stop him. It's going to be a big missed opportunity for Boston, too. They're up 2-1. They had game four in their building, could have made a 3-1 series, and they let it slip away. It's something that, you know, the map to the finals ended up working out for them perfectly. They got a underachieving net team that only had really one healthy superstar and got bounced, bounce, swept down in the first round. They took out Milwaukee in the second round without Chris Middleton, who, if he's healthy, maybe that win that series, took him seven games. They took out a banged-up Heat team in seven games to get to the final. This is one of those, you feel like you let it slip away, especially when you look out west, and Phoenix, which was probably the favorite to win the title most of the year, gets bounced in the second round. You're a Boston fan. You're going to sit there and regret that one because the East is not going to be any easier next year. Brooklyn, you figure, is going to be better. Miami is healthy. is going to be better. You figure Milwaukee will be back in the mix again. Look at teams like Chicago going to add some peace in the offseason. The East is not going away. Philly's also a threat still with Embiid and presumably re-signing James Harden. The question now, obviously, on the West is Golden State. How do they follow us up? Because they are probably the favorite. They have been knowing the betting favorites to win the title again next season. And they could get very, even better next year. I know Steph Curry is getting a year older, but Andrew Wiggins meant fit like a glove in there. You have Klay Thompson potentially shaking up more of that rust from the injury and becoming more of his vintage self. There's still threats out there. I mean, you still have to deal with Phoenix. The Clippers will be healthy with Kawhi and Paul George, make them a huge threat. Denver, when they're healthier, will be a big threat. But I think this is a chance here for Golden State to really cement themselves as a dynasty. And other people debating, you know, oh, four titles in eight years, not really a dynasty anymore at the Spurs from the early 2000s when they won the four in seven years or five and 12 when you count the last title they won over LeBron, Wade, Bosch, Heat. I think the interesting thing, obviously, to see what happens is people try and catch the Warriors again because this is a team that just a year ago, during the COVID-shortened NBA season, well, actually go back two years ago, in the 1920 season was shortened by COVID. They did not even make the bubble because they had big injuries to Steph and Draymond and Clay. They all missed a bunch of time. Last year, we're in the play-in tournament, lost to the Lakers, even make the actual postseason. Now they are back on top of the world. A big turnaround by that franchise. A lot of fun to see them be the hunted again. Because now they were kind of underrated as sort of being the hunters. Now everybody's back on Golden State Noise again. We will see what happens with them going forward. Definitely a very fun series and some tight games throughout. Obviously, game six not starting out as a blowout. Boston trying to make a push, and Golden State ended up just closing them out. It'll be a lot of fun to see what happens in the offseason. Speaking of said offseason, we're going to be joined in just a minute by the guys in the Sorry Interrupt podcast, Sean Rowe, Tom Bikini. I just want to note that we recorded this conversation before the end of the finals, so we're not going to discuss the finals. Here's why I did it at the top of the show, but their takes on the playoffs in general, the offseason, all that fun stuff right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball of Mr. Kirch's
right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Doing this coming annual tradition now. We do the NBA crossover with my good friends from the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. Sean Rowe, Tom Bacchino are both back here. Guys, welcome. How are you? What's going on, man? How are you? Long time no talk, man. Good to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, long time no talk. Oh, man, not that much NBA in the pod this year because the Rangers kind of took priority to me for a little bit, but... From what I can gather from the playoffs, I feel like it's been a really sort of odd postseason in terms of like what's been going on here. What's your general take from the post from the playoffs? What we what we learn about the NBA in this this uh, playoff run? Sean, I mean, I'm gonna let you take the reins on this, and I feel like we talk about this on our pod every week about how weird this playoffs has been and whether or not it's an anomaly or or they need to make some changes. So why don't you go ahead because I kind of echoed your thoughts. Yeah, I don't really know what changes you absolutely have to make unless you want to give more rest days in between the games in the second and third round as much as they give in the in, in between games in the first round I think especially in those one eight matchups this time and I've talked about the two seven matchups you know you're getting two or three days in between games um, that are four game sweeps generally in, in those outcomes but honestly I think this is just an anomaly Tom I and mean, we've talked about it and like pretty much what we've said is you're getting some of these games with a lot of injured players, uh, players worn down. You're getting teams just absolutely going through horrendous stretches while another team, you know, catches fire. We've seen that in the finals, kind of a microcosm of the entire postseason. So I think it's more of an anomaly. And also, too, is I think in some cases the best teams didn't win. I mean, Boston's a very good team. I can't take anything away from them, but Milwaukee was probably the best team in the East and they lost in the second round. And Phoenix had their debacle in round two. And, you know, I think a Phoenix Golden State series probably would have lended itself much better than uh, than Dallas did. So those were kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I think the thing I noticed specifically when I was watching these playoffs, Sean, is just sort of the whole, like, A, all the injuries, all the big guys. I mean, the Bucks lost a series on Middleton. You saw the Heat were really banged up against the, against the Celtics, the conference finals. You want those series flip if those injuries don't happen here. And like a lot of these games, I feel like, turn into blowouts pretty early. I mean, you see games, these teams are up 30 in the thir- second quarter, like just like sitting here watching, like, why am I invested in this so much? Because like, this is not really the best product the NBA could be putting out here. What do you think, Tom? I mean, I tend to agree with Mike. Uh, I mean, you, you even, you look at the Heat series and obviously it went seven and, and we said that on our podcast too, it makes it feel like it was a, it was a competitive series, but every game seemingly ended in a 20 point blowout. The Bucks series was much more competitive. Um, and then on the Western conference side, I mean, yeah, the, it, it was really a head scratch of this year. And, and I say it all the time. I go back to that the NBA season and the NBA playoffs are too long, but it's honestly not even worth wasting your breath because the only way that that gets changed is if they cut out playoff games and regular season games. And we all know that's not going to happen because the owners have become increasingly greedy. And once you put a game, once you add games to the schedule, you're never going to turn around and minimize them. I, I do have to agree. The one thing I think you can hear that with is what Sean said, because I think we can all agree that the season has gone on too long. It's possibly in those 1-8 matchups, you can eliminate a rest set because that, that's really the only way we're going to be able to shorten this. You'll have to do it for the whole first round, though. You can't make it an exception just for those lopsided matchups because you never know what can happen. That's just not fair. Oh, no, I agree. But I agree. the entire first round series, there doesn't need to be two or three days travel days, particularly when you're in conference. You know, the travel is not nearly as extensive as it is in the final. 
and for the most part, the the series, aside from like the, what the four or five matchup, are pretty chalky. Anyways, the the higher seed usually wins out. So, I think if you eliminate a, a day or two of rest, I think that might cheer it a little bit. I just, I, I feel like we're in June now, and it, I love basketball. Sean and I talk basketball pretty much extensively on our podcast during the season. But I'm ready for it to be over. And I'm sure hockey fans are ready for the hockey season to be over as well. It's just way too long. Yeah, I agree with you guys on the rest days of the playoffs. I mean, we're sitting here. I mean, like, the NBA finals started on June, I think, June 2nd. And they're going to end on June 19th to go seven games. It feels like way too long. You're basically racing through the second and third rounds at the, at the rate they go. That doesn't bother me as much because if you've made it to this point, you earn those extra rest days and it makes the product better. It's definitely those middle tier rounds where yeah. you know, you've got Boston, Miami, who each of them are struggling to field, you know, shoot up their best players, and it's like, oh, one travel day between Boston and Miami, and one travel day from Miami to Boston. And it's just like these guys need an extra day. It might mean Marcus Smart plays in this game. It might mean Robert Williams plays in this game, and you know, it, that, that definitely hurts the product, which hurts, you know, which hurts the viewership because the games are they're really not all that appealing and yeah, people are turning it off at halftime. And, and, you know, you bet, I think the heat series was really what, what did it and sparked this conversation because of how many blowouts there were with you missing hero. I think if they had one extra day of rest there, hero might've been able to play Lowry. looked like a corpse. Jimmy Butler obviously was dead at the end, although he put on a great performance. Uh, and I think that was just a war of attrition. I think if they had more off days, Maybe that series, even though it did go seven, is a little more interesting. And who knows? The Heat could have won that series. Yeah, I think they definitely could have. And I do think in terms of the other series, I mean, the Golden State-Dallas, I mean, sort of like Dallas is just lucky to be there, in my opinion. Because, again, you you point out yeah. Phoenix basically just, like, laid a massive egg in the semifinals and should have won that series and ended up losing it. And, like, that's no fault of Dallas. It's more of the fact that I think, like, Phoenix not getting to really kill the West. That's what I'm saying. It was kind of a fluke yeah. year in that regard, right? Like. I mean, even Milwaukee, they, they outplayed Boston pretty much that entire series while losing a couple up until Game 7 when Boston just ran them off the floor. But if, if Milwaukee advances and Phoenix advances, you know, we're talking probably about much better, more competitive, not that the Boston-Miami series wasn't competitive, but particularly in the West, that series would have been much more fun and probably would have taken a lot more, you know, uh, there would have been a lot more fun to watch as opposed to just, how many games does Golden State polish Dallas off? Yeah, so let's get I think we do have to point out, though, that there was apparently a COVID breakout during that series. Shocker from Phoenix and one specific player had COVID. I think we can all guess who had it. <laughs> By the way, he played. <laughs> I mean, yeah. CP3 was brutal. Yeah, I know. It just adds to his, his, very, his very rough, uh, his very rough yeah. run there in postseason history, yep. Yeah, let's move on from the puzzle. They let's go to the Aussies here because that really seems to be all of the two teams right here care about here. And the Knicks, Tom, I think they have a very interesting offseason because they really underachieved this year. Question number one, Mitchell Robinson, are they bringing him back, yes or no? I mean, I think it really depends on what his market is. I, I was reading up on it. It seems like he's going to fetch in the like four-year, $48 million range. I, I think it really depends on the draft. I'm looking at two players right now in the center out of Duke and the center out of Kentucky that if they go out and get him, I think Mitchell Robinson's all but gone. And I would honestly prefer they do that. I'd like Mitchell Robinson for his inside presence. 
but he doesn't bring really anything else to the table. Not to mention, the guy cannot stay on the floor. I mean, I feel like he missed a full season, and then every other season he's been in and out. I wouldn't mind if you got Duran or or the guy uh, Mark Mark Williams at a at a Duke instead, and I think they could do a lot more. So I think it really depends on the draft. If they don't decide with, I believe they have the what do they have the eleventh pick? Yes. To go out and get a and get one of those big men, then they're going to end up re-signing him. But you know what? The center position in the NBA kills me because you can go out and get. I mean, look how impactful Robert Williams or Kavon Looney have been throughout the season. You don't have to pay these big name players because then you're going to end up in a situation like Utah, unless you have one of the I don't know big couple centers like Embiid or the Joker or whatnot. Like paying a center basically wing guard money is kind of a death sentence in the NBA and you end up in limbo like Utah is right now. And that's kind of literally, literally, we're seeing the Phoenix Suns who took DeAndre Ayton with the number one overall pick four years ago over Luka Doncic, over Trey Young, and they are not, they're going to likely sign and trade them, sign and trade him. If they're not even going to give him a second contract, and last year at this time we're talking about how he's one of the most impactful players on a Phoenix team that took a 2-0 lead in the final. Like, you want to talk about how how little impact centers have? There's there's really your shut case. Yeah, I think. I mean, because the. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, say for me, from my perspective on the odds here, I'm like, does it make sense to give the money to Mitchell Robinson? Where yes, he no. rim runs well, and he's a great interior presence. Like. In terms of utilizing your assets, there you have some bad contracts in the books. There, like, are you paying him when you could, for example, you know, like go cheaper there, maybe run Jericho Sims out there with like Noel and give Toppins and run at the five and use your money elsewhere? I think it's might not be the best use of resources if you if you resign Robinson. Completely agree with you. I mean, the most important thing about Robinson is that the guy can't stay on the floor, and that he's aside from the rim running, like you said, he's a zero on offense. And he's, he's very good interior defensively, but a lot of these centers now you want a switchable center. You look at a guy like Robert Williams who can step out and give Steph Curry a hard time, but he can also block shots. And, and you don't have Mitchell Robinson doing that. I mean, I would put Mitchell Robinson in the bottom end of the, in the, bottom end of the NBA when it comes to centers. And the fact that you're going to pay him just because he does one thing in an elite way. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I really, I know we're going to talk about the draft, but I really got my eye on those two centers because honestly, I think when these two centers come into the league, they're going to be better players than Mitchell Robinson and obviously healthier players than Mitchell Robinson right off the jump. First tip of the first tip of the season. Yeah. Uh, Sean also in terms of like the Knicks here, I think this was a fascinating with them. It's just, they have so many like, of these like young guys who like, if they have like a ton of guys like 24 and under with whether it's like what are we been saying this for 20 years yeah i mean like this... yeah, but unfortunately you they the, they don't have the coach uh like they they just they talk out of both sides of their mouth because because of what happened last season which was a fluke and i've been saying that since probably the first third of this season their their coach doesn't want to play any of these young guys and get them any run and he wants to stick with his guys that you know, are are very singular players. They're only good at one thing, and they're they're going to be gone after their contracts are up, and there there's no future for them. And and that's honestly the biggest problem for me with the Knicks is the fact that I think that your coach doesn't really fit exactly what you're trying to go for right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at all the guys there. I mean, you have you you didn't really get a ton of run for Obi Top, and he should have probably had more run quickly. You don't know what you're going to do with him long term. I mean, they. 
They traded for Cam Reddish and never played him before he got hurt again, which made no sense at all. They have a first-round pick. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you look at it, like, it doesn't make a ton of sense when you see how they're structuring this roster, which makes you think, you know, like, are they going to try and turn some of these guys into somebody else? I mean, I don't know what you could even do because the Julius Randle contract really sort of, like, gums up their works. I think with the worst thing that, you know, it's going to sound like I'm I'm being, you know, a really bad guy here and a bad co-host and friend, but, and I'm certainly in no position to really brag about this predicament my team's in, which I know we'll get to. But I think the problem, the biggest problem that the Knicks have is that they they are not an attraction for the best players. So the players they get are guys that other teams don't really want to pay. And on top of that, too, you've also got young guys that they hype up or their fan base hypes up more so then they probably are worth hyping up. And as bad as it is that Thibodeau is not playing guys when the season's long over to figure out what their value is, or at least see if they're going to be sticking here, I, I really don't... I think he's probably saying, look, I get these guys in practice all the time. They're not as good as you think they are. So with those things being you know, all factors... I, I really don't know what the Knicks' best likelihood is of, you know, really, really increasing the value and probably the productivity of this roster. I think I have one theory here, but it does take some help from the outside here. I think the, really the only shot they have to get significantly better is, like, if Donovan Mitchell gets pissed off in Utah, says, you know what, I'm only playing for the Knicks, trade me there, and just make, make a package work. I think it's the only way you're really going to get something magical happening with them in the offseason. Tom, we talked about him. You got to talk about how you feel about Donovan Mitchell right now because it certainly isn't what you felt about him last year. No, I mean, I, I see a guy who is just lost in Utah and maybe a breath of fresh air would be good for him. But, I mean, he came out of Louisville as a defensive superstar. I mean, a strong, long player. And he plays zero defense. He's an absolute turnstile. And then on offense, I, I see a guy who – it, probably on a on a championship type team is a third second best player. I'm a little sour on Mitchell, and I don't. The only guy on the team I really don't want to give up for him is RJ Barrett. Anybody else, see you later. I don't care. Even quickly, I like him, but you know, it, quickly, I think his feeling might be uh, you know a little bit better than Jamal Crawford, and I'm willing to give that up for Donovan Mitchell, but I'm not willing to give up draft capital and and rj barrett for him at this point and to be honest i'm not willing to give it up for dame either because if you take a look at that contract he's making 50 million dollars a year basically over the next three years and i don't know what that that oblique whatever rib whatever whatever body part he's got hurt i don't know what that looks like and i don't know if he's still there like in the top 10 anymore for me in some ways donovan mitchell to me seems like mike the kind of guy that's the will come over and Nick fans are all excited and then they watch him play every night instead of just the two or three times a year when Utah plays the Knicks. And they're like, oh, this guy's actually not as good as we thought. And then they turn on him. Is he Stephon Marbury? I think he's better than Marbury, but but he's in that same category. That's how starved this franchise is for legitimate star power. and, And that is, again, the conundrum that they're in because well, they have fine. Know, they have fine players, Tom. I mean, uh, you and I went back and forth with Julius Randle, but I've always thought uh, Julius Randle's gotten the shit end of the stick from the fan base because if you just look at him for what he is, he's a fine player that most teams would want. 
But when you're asking him to be your, when you're giving him the the first option and the keys to the car, okay, well, he's going to look a lot worse when he's the lead option in a playoff series. They're paying him. His contract's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. And again, that shows the reason they gave him that much money is because the guys they would prefer to give that money to don't want to come here. Yeah, that's true. I think. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I think also the one thing with this roster that's been. This team for about, I'd say, about eight, nine years at least as in trying to find a point guard. And right now, I mean, there's not in the draft. They're not going to make it to them at number 11 unless you're hoping, like, like Dyson Daniels is, like, a superstar or Ty Ty Washington is a big thing out of Kentucky. Like, I mean, you're sitting here. You're obviously phrase aren't great either. I mean, are you overpaying Jalen Brunson? Are you going and signing Tyus Jones and hoping he makes an impact here? I mean, like, there's not much really can do, I think, in that front to really make things, like, super interesting on the point guard front. No, but also, I feel like we're reverting back to the old Nixie ways where we're getting desperate and we're going to trade the farm for a player like Mitchell and whatnot. When, I mean, the real problem with this team is is how inept they've been lately with drafting. I mean, the only good draft pick you can say that they've had over the last few years, excluding Porzingis, over the last what seems like 10 years, is, is R.J. Barrett. I mean, and they've just done an absolutely awful job. I mean, the Phil Jackson era obviously was a joke, but aside from that, they, uh, that's enough, that's what they're going to do in the draft this year is they're going to reach for a point guard and then he's never going to play when really what you need right now is a center so you don't have to pay Mitchell that much money. I have an idea. How about you just draft the best player on the board instead of for need? That's what's gotten the Knicks in trouble a lot. They draft players for need instead of just drafting the best available player. If, if the I, I agree. Up, they'll and figure I, it out. That's my point. Is I think I think that guy out of Kentucky is going to be the best player on the board and I think they need to go after him because my whole thing with the NBA is unless you're one or two pieces away from being a, a competitive, a compete for a championship team, and you're saying you're going for a, a positional need as opposed to best player available, then you're an idiot. Because yeah. what do you need that's the best player done. available for when you need 10 of them? Right. And that's what they've done, unfortunately. You know, we, I think they've had decent value of weight with some players that they've taken, but, you know, I, I think as far as just taking the best player on the board and figuring it all out later and getting a coach that actually wants to coach them. That's very important because I don't know if there's been a lot of synergy there between the coach and the front office over the last two drafts. Yeah. I mean, no. I'm looking at the drafts here. I mean, since the Porzingis pick here, I mean, it's not been good. I mean, Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox, RJ, and then Obi topping with the ones and you adding guys like quickly and, uh, some of the other role players there. I mean, they have been a, a very bad drafting team for a while. I mean, yeah, that's the next MO is that, you know, they just bring in yet another GM that they think is going to lure in these free agents like they did with World Wide West and whatever because of his Kentucky connections. And it never works out. And these guys aren't draft guys. They're, they're connections guys. And then they end up taking, the, taking a, a long shot guy every single time that never works out and that either gets traded before their first contract is up dwindles away on the bench or gets cut. Yeah. What I think the Knicks need to do, Mike, just real fast is and this is not gonna sound popular, but fuck it, here it goes. Like I really think that they just need to embrace the like the small market rebuild. And yeah. not necessarily push for by the way, I'm sorry well, wearing there. I didn't mean to. Uh um, they're always half pregnant and that's the yeah. problem. And that's and, and when you're sitting in limbo, that's that's the worst place you're gonna be because you're gonna end up with the eleventh pick every single time. And, you know, uh, a three-player draft that 
that this is, where it's the three best players, and then there's another tier that has five players, and three plus five does not equal 11. But, you know, you see small market teams, like where I was going with that, is like, they don't, they're never going to be a star attraction, right, for the free agent. So they have to build through the draft. They make they have to make good trades, and they have to make savvy free agent additions on those lower-tier kind of players and build good you know, continuity and a nice culture. The Knicks are kind of caught in between, as you said. Like They want to swing for the fences, but they're only hitting doubles. And yep. so and you can those guys the money, and then, you're, and then you're bringing in these draft picks that don't really make sense with the team. And then you're signing these bargain basement guys like a Kemba Walker or, you know, players of that ilk that, that really don't have a lot of, a lot of chance to, to be good when you're good. Um, I thought what they did honestly with Derek Rose and Reggie Bullock was a lot better than what they did this year, bringing in Kemba and Fournier. Not that there's a knock on Kemba from his personality, but he, he's clearly been done for a while. Yeah, and and before we before we move on to that, the last thing I want to say that we said on our pod, and I just want to get it out there to whatever Knicks fans you have, the worst thing that could happen to the Knicks is what happened last season when they finished as the four seed. Because I said it at the beginning of the year, it was an absolute, it was a diminished NBA. They basically played two seasons in a row, and the Knicks caught a bunch of teams on back to backs that weren't playing as hard as them because Tom Thibodeau is a drill sergeant and and had this team playing 10 times harder than any other team when you could see it coming from a mile away that it was just a fluky season and that it didn't mean anything. And then unfortunately, when you finish as a four seed, then there's expectations and the, the GM and the front office think you're a lot better than you actually are. And you make stupid moves like bringing in a Kemba Walker, like bringing in Evan Fournier, like letting a Reggie Bullock walk. And now we're in the position that we're in instead of, building off of that and trying to build an actual team. Now we're just out here looking for another superstar with the 11th pick. And, and that's not going to happen. Or, or we're going to try and trade for a guy because we can't sign anybody. Yeah. The worst part about the playoff run was not making the playoffs. It's always good to make the playoffs, especially when you're a team like the Knicks who haven't made it very often at all. Of course. The, pro- the problem was, was exactly what Tom said is treating that playoff like it was the that wasn't you know, a real four seed that was like that was, was a fugazi four seed yeah and, they, they and, didn't build upon that at all no no they did they basically ran it back and just added a couple other guys to it they basically said oh we're we had the foundation and they really didn't yeah julius randall is, is you know a top 15 player in the league and you know kemba walker is the true kind of point guard we need we'll let reggie bullock walk you know look what he did with dallas uh we'll bring in red or uh, evan fournier who you know Austin wanted no part of, and he did Boston not help. Austin drove him to the airport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking. I think, again, the, you're right on with the bad draft. The next. I'm looking at some of the drafts they have. I mean, the year they took Frank, 27. He took in the eighth pick. They're going to have Don Mitchell themselves. He went 13. Bam Adebayo went 14. Either one of those guys in Nick uniform would be incredible. And then, Bro, you know, don't. Don't get me started with that draft. That draft was – Phil Jackson was allowed to do that draft, and then he was fired like less than a week later. Yeah, that, I mean that—that's an all-timer. That, that one still makes me sick. Yeah, that one's bad. And then the following year, they took Knox with number nine. I mean, the guys right after him. I mean, Mikal Bridges, Shea Gildas Alexander, Miles Bridges, Michael Porter Jr. at fourteen, even Dante Divincenzo. Mike, I mean, they're all you know, better options than what they. I mean, they took I, Knox on a one-year flyer out of Kentucky. I just want to say though, I think it, it is a little lazy sometimes to just say the names because it's so obvious 
that the, the player the Knicks drafted is not good. But if you look at it, they never gave those players a chance to succeed. All those other players went to organizations that allowed them to play and allowed them to mature and had the full confidence of the coaching staff, the front office, and ownership. The Knicks players haven't. So, yeah, the players never turned out to be good, and it's a very easy thing to say how bad they've been compared to some of their counterparts. But it also goes to show that how inept the organization's been. That's, that's, I think, the more biggest, that's the biggest problem to me. These players, it's not like they had no talent. They went to a place that never really embraced them or gave them a chance to play well. Yes. I agree with that in the sense of Knox and a few other players, but the Nilakina, let's, let's just not bring that up. You know, that one, that one's sad. It makes me sad. Yeah, let's go, let's go to the other team in town here. Go to the Nets, who have had higher expectations <laughs> in the last few years. They have underachieved, specifically this season. We saw the whole... James Harden situation blow up because the whole he got mad and basically quit on them after the Kyrie situation with the vaccine, and then Kyrie comes back late in the year and it is it's usual enigma. This team trades for Simmons, never plays. They lose the first round. Now there's the big question here. I mean, Kyrie has his player out. He's talking about extending long term. The Nets have been surprisingly non-committal on this. So, Sean, I know you're the net guy in the group here. So. What do you think yeah. ha- happens here with the Kyrie situation? Do they just get, end up extending him long term? But I feel like there's with when you have him and you have KD already locked in, I feel like you're kind of like committed, pot committed to going in after him. You know, they, they've talked a big game about you know we want players. Sean Marks did his post you know end of the season press conference talking about how he wants to rebuild the culture that seemingly was lost and. Kyrie, obviously, a lot. Everybody was like, "Well, it's a direct shot at him." And yeah, you can certainly say it was. You know, with the amount of games he's missed for personal reasons, and then the COVID circumstances you laid out. <clears throat> you know, I think in a perfect world, Marks would like to trade him. I think they would like him to either play on this player option and not do a deal, or do a sign and trade somewhere. The problem is there's really not anybody who can afford him. I don't really know who would want him, and I don't really know where he would go that he would be really fine with playing. He said that he wants to play with Durant in Brooklyn around his family. I think what's going to ultimately happen is the Nets are going to give him a three- or four-year extension on top of the player option, matching him with Durant, because it, you. It, the biggest thing is even though Durant's under contract, he's never asked for a trade. doesn't mean he won't. And you know, partnership between him and Kyrie to win championships in Brooklyn and build a culture in Brooklyn. If you tell him that Kyrie's gone, you're, you're really playing with fire there. So I think at the end of the day, conversations will be had and he'll get a three or four year extension, uh, either opting out of the player option or opting in and then signing a contract extension on top. Yeah. Tom, would you look at the Kyrie thing here? It's it's just such a tough situation for the Nets, but I think there's only one answer, and that's you re-up with Kyrie. You can't lose Kevin Durant, and you can't lose Kyrie Irving because you're not going to get equal value for either of the guys that you trade, and then you go back to being completely irrelevant. They're already the second team in New York, and they always will be, and those are your only two guys. And your championship window is until KD decides to either move on or, or whatever, and you're not going to get a better player than Kyrie. So unfortunately, these are the cards you're dealt and you kind of just got to ride the wave at this point. And also for me, it's like, well, he already pulled all this crap in Cleveland and in Boston and in Brooklyn. What else could he do? You know, I think maybe the worst 
you know, looking at a glass half full, maybe the worst has already happened. Yeah, maybe. I do think, though, the mis- I give them credit for this. I mean, when they gave up all their assets last year for Harden, I was like, okay, I can understand the logic here. You know, you have the big two trying to get the big three. I do give them credit for not just making that a sunk cost trade and you know, realizing that we have to blow this up and just get something here. And they did bring Simmons in, you know, never played. They brought in the role players and got a couple of picks back here. Like, how do you think they use those assets to try and improve this roster here? Whether it's like retaining some of these guys, getting something out of Simmons who never played again this year. And I thought it was weak to basically ask out of game four for whatever reason. And I think, what do you, how do you improve this team? Because I mean, they're in a spot where they should be contending for titles, but they're not at this point. Well, Ben Simmons had back surgery right after the season yeah. and had an epidural very soon after he arrived in Brooklyn. So him, there was really weird communication breakdowns between the coaching staff, Simmons, Simmons' agency, and you know the Nets because it didn't seem like he was ever really in position to play. Uh, when you have back surgery, that's not something like, oh, I think I'm just going to get that cleaned up this offseason. Like, that's a significant that's a significant surgery, and he'd been talking about about that all the way back to his days in Philly. Uh, I think he's going to be a cornerstone of this franchise. I think that their hope is that with him being healthy and not having the mental concerns about his back being really hurt, then and being in a place like Brooklyn instead of Philly, he's going to be with Kyrie and Durant, and he's the kind of player that they really need. Long, big, physical, versatile guard who can face the floor. He's a great passer, a uh, great rebounder. They desperately need that. Patty Mills's player option is up. I'd like to have him come back. I think he's a really good player on a championship team off the bench. Joe Harris was out this whole year too, and they really, really missed him. If you have Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and Seth Curry, who's coming back, that's, those are really good three-point shooters uh, that are going to just make life a lot easier for Durant and Kyrie. Um, Drummond, maybe. You know, it sounds like they want to give Claxton his money as a free, as a restricted free agent. They'll match any offer sheet. Uh, outside of that, you know, <laughs> they're going to have a lot of money tied up in three guys. So you're going to be, you know, kind of scouring the the other very low low end of the free agent market to bring in guys that want to be a part of it. Let's just hope that they can do a better job than Paul Millsap and Blake Griffin. Yeah, that that was really it. I mean, Aldridge. When he played, he was good, but he didn't play in the postseason. Blake Griffin was out of the rotation. Bruce Brown had a really nice year. You know, it'd be nice yeah. to bring him back, but he might have priced himself out of the Nets. They do have the 2023. They they deferred Philly's pick from the trade from 22 to 23, making that a nice, you know, attractive asset to move either this summer or come the trade deadline if they need a piece. And they have two major trade exceptions too that they can use for players. So we'll see. They have to be creative. Um, but it's, I believe everything will be built around Simmons, Irving, and Durant. So basically it's just a matter of like what uh, role-playing guy is that Durant calls up and says, hey, come play with me, who he gets to come with him. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of players that want to play with Kyrie and KD and, and the healthy Simmons. You know, that, just, that is just the position the Nets are in. For as turbulent as it's been, and it has been that, if you tell free agents, who want to win championships that you get to play with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. That's a very attractive sell. Yeah, I would agree with that. And let's go to the draft for a minute. I mean, we're not going to go like nuts and bolts on the entire thing here, but there's a very clear top three on the board. I mean, you, if you want to count Jaden Ivy as four fine, but I mean, the top three is pretty much consensus. Uh, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and Paolo Bancaro in some order here. So 
I, mean, I'm, I know how much you guys were on the college stuff here watching these three guys. So, like, who do you like the most on an NBA perspective? Tom knows his college basketball. Paolo, it's not even close. It's not even remotely close. I think he is a a mix of Chris Webber and a slightly less athletic but much better basketball-playing version of prime Blake Griffin. I think he can be a number one player on a championship team when it's all said and done. Um, I mean, listen, the one thing that worries me is the lack of defensive intensity at Duke, but when he did decide to play defense, uh, he was a great shot blocker, a really good secondary defender coming over to, on double teams, coming over to help on the weak side. He has a really good basketball IQ. He can shoot it. He's got a fluid jump shot, and I'm telling you, every year his percentages are going to go up. He's already got post moves. He can really handle the ball, and he can pass. Man, I was watching a lot of his highlights. He can really pass the rock, and his feel for the game is incredible. Paolo is by far the number one for me. Yeah, Sean, do you agree with that? You have somebody else you like? No, I I mean, I agree with Tom as, as far as, you know, the attributes that Sankaro has. Yeah, I've, I've been a, a Jabari Smith guy the, the whole season. I, I did not think that he had any any help at all from the point guards that he had to play yeah, with brutal. At, at Auburn who would just absolutely hijack games from him. Listen, his shooting's not great, but you can't deny the athleticism. I think you put him in and he's an immediate impact player, uh, whether he's picked first, second, or third. Uh, ben Caro seems to like the more polished player, but if I'm going just for pure upside, I think Jabari Smith is the guy, especially defensively. You talk about Ben Caro, maybe not 100% committed on defense in certain times. You don't have to worry about that with Jabari. Just his length, his size, his physicality. I think you could teach him to be a little bit better shooter, but the kid's got it all, and he's got a really high motor too, which I love. His issue isn't really shooting, though. His issue is more the fact that, and the thing that scares me about him and why I've got him as a definite number three behind the other two is the fact that I I don't think, and this might have to do with what you said with the lack of touches because of the point guards, but I he he is not able to put the ball on the floor more than two times. I don't think he's. I don't think they wanted him to. I don't think they wanted him to. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, well, it, it does concern me though. Sure. If you haven't seen it, it, it lends itself for concern. It's funny you guys took the other two guys because my because I'm the big I'm a big Chet guy. I think Chet Holmgren I think is probably I think the top guy in this class. I think obviously he's a good dang for his frame because like he needs to put weight on from the 195. But like as a shot blocker, this dude is going to be like a, a difference maker in this league. And he can shoot from the outside. He can operate the front offensively. If you give him like a solid like 20, 30 pounds of muscle on that frame, like he's still going to be ridiculous. I don't ever think he's going to get that much muscle, but I don't think it's really going to matter because if he goes into the right situation with a with a more interior, true center, like a, I guess you could look at it as like a Wendell Carter in Orlando, he's going to be able to be that kind of free safety where he can defend somebody on the perimeter, but then he can come in on the weak side and get that block after Wendell gets beat or whatnot. And I mean, yeah, he's he can he can pretty much do it all on offense. Um, I mean, people comparing him to Kevin Durant. I, I know we're not allowed to curse on this podcast, so I'm just going to say GTFO. Kevin Durant's <laughs> one of the you know the top ten players of all time. He's probably second, maybe the best scoring forward of all time. But I mean, he. I think he's going to be really unique. I don't. I don't think he's going to be like a 35. You know, I don't ever think he's going to be able to get in that 30 points per game. 
but I think he's going to be able to average, you know, 19 and 10 per game for, for 10 years as long as he can stay healthy. I just think that Paolo's a future Hall of Famer, and I'm really enamored by him. Oh, you know, the thing with the thing with Chad, I was just going to say real fast, Mike, is I can see why you love him so much. I, I To me, it's all about the circumstance and, and, and how much exactly. at least the, the, uh, the GM has. If I'm a GM like Sam Presti, who pretty much has, you know, a career scholarship at Oklahoma City. I know they're not drafting first, but I'm saying I could take him and really not have any problems if he works out or doesn't. If you're a team like Houston, you took, you know, Jalen Green, you're trying to build this team. How much equity do you have if he doesn't play well and the other two do? You know, Orlando right there at number one. You know, I how much leeway does that general manager have? If, if Chet doesn't come out of the gate smoking hot, it, it, that's really hard to get up from, right? So if I'm picking, if I'm in Orlando, I just want to know how much time I'm going to have because if I don't have a lot of time and it's about immediate impact and how I'm going to get a player to fit with uh, oh, Doug Smith. Wagner, then I got to go Jabari Smith or Bankera. If it's, if it's, hey, you're going to have several years to figure this out and here's your vision, run with it. You don't have to worry about losing your job. I might go Chet because I really like him too. I just, I would hate to possibly lose my job on him. Yeah, I think for sure. I, I have Oklahoma City Circle as the Chet spot because the way I look at it here is like, I mean, they are doing the plan with this accumulating 75,000 draft picks. They don't have to win for like three years and you keep getting all this intriguing young talent here. I mean, you put him on that roster with Shea Gillis, Alexander, and Giddy. That's a great three to start with to build the next generation of Thunder Dynasty. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. But and the other thing that's interesting, and we're going to talk about possible trades, is that I mean they can't they can't possibly make all these draft picks. They'd have like seven different Oklahoma City Thunder teams. So at some point, the other shoe is going to drop, and they're going to make a splash for, and I'll now be superstar that's under contract, and uh, you know like like a Donovan Mitchell or something, where it's you know you don't have as much say when you're out, you got three years left on a deal. And they're offering the best package, kind of like what they did when they went out and got Paul George. Yeah, I agree yep. with, with that. Any any sleepers you're watching in the draft who you think are getting undervalued in terms of like where they're being put put in the box? I'm looking at I'm looking at this guy Duran out of out of Memphis. I mean, he absolutely bullied Paolo, and I just think he is Robert Williams 2.0, which is a very valuable player in this league right now. I think he's going to be really special. And then also the the guy, A.J. Griffin, out of Duke. I mean, just watching Paolo highlights, it seems like they were just playing off of each other. And every time something good happened for Paolo, it came from A.J. Griffin and vice versa. And I think he's a very special player. Although injury riddled in high school, I, I, think, I think he's going to be a really good player. I think Jaden Ivey's a stud. He's not really a sleeper, but Jaden Ivey, yeah. you know, wherever he goes, whether a team trades up to four or if Sacramento makes the pick, uh, I think he's going to be really good. Uh, Mark Williams, to me, the center I do, he, he's just a really, really good player. And I've liked Johnny Davis for a while. I know he didn't play great in the tournament, but I think he, that's, a, that's a player who's going to be around in the NBA making a major contribution for a long time. Yeah, I think the guy I love, and I don't know, I mean, he only had one great year in college, but, like, Ben Mathering out of Arizona, like, he can be dominant if he puts it all together. I think it's, he's very situational. You have to put him in the right place where he can develop, and the coaching staff has based with him. But 
I think you have a very good shot at an impact two-way player in Mather, and if you put him in the, on the right staff. Yeah, I think yeah, so, no, too. I mean, he has a super lot of athlete. Go yeah. ahead, Sean. Sorry. No, you're fine. I was just going to say he has a lot of tools. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. And last thing here, go to the NBA free here. I mean, I don't know how many big names they're going to be on the board. A lot of these guys are going to, like, opt out and sign the extension of their team. So, like, who are some of the big names you are watching in terms of who could be on the move in the offseason? I mean, the first, I think the first shoe to drop for true free agency is Zach Levine, right? Yeah, it sounds like he's going to re-sign with Chicago. Yeah, that, I, I saw that as well. I mean, I think it's going to be more the trades that are going to be interesting this season. I mean, you, we, we talked about, you know, you have on the notes what we learned from the playoffs. I mean, a team that didn't make the playoffs, and what are the Lakers going to do? Because, you know, LeBron's in year, going into year 21, and they're hamstrung across the board. What kind of, what kind of you know, charcanery are they going to do with the cap and with the roster in order to get Russell Westbrook the hell out of there and get LeBron some more tools. Uh, and then, I mean, what? and also the other big one outside of Kyrie, which we talked about, is James Harden. I mean, is Philly going to commit to him? I mean, I, I think they are. I, I don't know how long. It might not be the four or the five, but I think they got to give them at least three. I mean, you gave up. You gave up valuable players that easily could have helped you advance further than you did with Curry and Drummond. And especially with Embiid being hurt, look at they had DeAndre Jordan playing big minutes. You know, Seth Curry was a big loss for them. So to give up what they did for 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 Harden, that's Daryl's guy. I I, I think that they're going to bring him back. I would be I would be shocked if he didn't come back at least on two or three. I don't think I agree. Going I agree. It's just, you know, unless he has the longest hamstring injury in the history of mankind, he definitely lost a step or two. They lost several, yeah. Yeah, I think the guys I'm watching, guys, I think what happens is eight and out in Phoenix because obviously they declined to give him the extension. So we'll see if they actually just match an offer sheet. They try and sign and trade him. Miles Bridge, I think, is going to be back in Charlotte, but I think he's plays way into a lot of money here. And honestly, I mean, Jalen Brunson made himself a lot of money, too. It doesn't matter where he ends up. Jalen Brunson's a really interesting one, Mike, because you talk about New York and, you know, about him resigning. Mark Cuban said, you know, he really wants to be here. We'll pay him. He's a really good player. That's it. So yeah, if you pay him more than that or you're the team that, you know, pries him away from Dallas, you're going to get a really good player. And that's what he's, he's going to be. I think he's a massive product of Luka. And, yeah. and the, it's kind of got the Luca effect and the Luca shine on him, where you know Luca is the planet that everybody orbits around. And I think if you put him in a Knicks uniform or on any other team, like Sean said, he's a really good player. He's a, he's probably a starting point guard in the NBA, but you're going to have to pay him like he's an All Star point guard in the NBA, and he's not going to be that. You're going to end up disappointed. Yeah, and, and you know, I, there's a couple others. You know, Chicago's interesting. You know, what's Vucevic's future there? Um, I think they're going to trade for Rudy Gobert, to be honest. Yeah, Gobert, I mean, obviously, you know, Mike talking about the Utah boys, you know, Gobert and and, uh, and Mitchell, those are two names that will be talked about extensively. Atlanta's frisky. They have a lot of players that they could move. They could move Yeah, they could Collins. do like a three-for-one. Yep, uh, they've been rumored, you know, Brooklyn does want to move off Ben Simmons. They've been rumored as a potential suitor. 
for Simmons. Um, I don't think he's going to be on the move at all. And then, you know, to me, I really, I'm always, I'm always fascinated with a team like Indiana. Are they going to move off of, um, off of Turner? Are they going to move off of Brogdon? Uh, what's it going to take to get those guys? Are they just going to build the entire thing around Halliburton? Uh, there, there's there's going to be a lot of names out there. We might see a very active trade market simply because, you know, the free agent class, especially if a lot of the guys return to the, you know, to their teams, I don't know how good it really is. Yeah, I feel like Malcolm Brog is a guy that the Knicks will be calling on too, because they basically can't make a deal for Brog. They feel like that's they look for that point guard upgrade. I feel like Brog will call Indiana see what it take to get him. Yeah, I. I, I guarantee that call will be made, but I really don't want him. That guy cannot talk about Mitchell Robinson not being able to stay healthy. Malcolm Brogdon's even worse. Yeah, that's true. Also, and I also am fascinated. I think mostly about this Russell Westbrook thing with the Lakers. See how they, what they have to do. It's incredible. Unload, it really is to unload that money because he has one year left on the deal. It's absorbent money, and you know GM LeBron is going to give himself some more dues to try and win in LA this year. And you know every team is going to call the Lakers like, hey. Give us that twenty twenty seven unprotected one, and you're gonna and you can have him. Well, the thing is, the Lakers are starting to stand up to LeBron because he's in year whatever it is, and 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 they're saying like you're not gonna be here in twenty twenty seven. Nor it's is most likely Anthony Davis. Yeah, and and I mean, and Russell Westbrook. The only thing that they have going for them with Russell Westbrook is, like you said, it's only a one year deal. So you get halfway through the season, and that's that's an expiring contract that you can trade or he's in a walk year following that. But I mean, what kind of, what kind of finessing can you do in order to get some talent in there when the only asset you have is that 2027 draft pick and, and, and nothing else really. I mean, what Austin Reeves, I mean, or what, what's the other guy's name? The guy with the two names that everybody thought was good. After hey, like three, yeah. After like three G league games, how's he doing? I mean, they gave up everything in order to get Westbrook, and then before that, Anthony Davis. So I think they're kind of hamstrung. And again, yeah, LeBron. I mean, not he's probably the second greatest player of all time, but he's leaving the covered bear at another destination. Right, and I don't. I think they're going to take this into the season and towards the trade deadline because I don't think they have any other options. You know, his mm-hmm. his contract. You know, it's somewhat enticing because it isn't expiring. But again, what's interesting about that is, you know, like we said, LeBron's on year 21, and AD is hurt all the time. Is is waiting till the trade deadline. LeBron might get desperate because he may look at it and be like, we might already be out of the playoffs by the yeah. time the trade deadline happens, that the way things are going. Here's the thing, and, and Bill Simmons said on his podcast that if he were GM, he would look to trade LeBron. I don't think LeBron's going anywhere, and they're not going to trade. Nice, yeah. he, would, he won't ask for a trade because he wants to be there. But you might have to seriously consider trading Anthony Davis, who I still think for as diminished of a return as we think he is compared to what he was a couple years ago, that's still a, he's still a 29-year-old bona fide stud when he plays. So do you entertain that? Because I just don't know what teams – because the bad teams are not going to want to inject a Russell Westbrook into their master plan of developing a young team cohesion and a culture, right? So then you're looking at those bad teams like a Washington or a Detroit or a Sacramento who aren't any good, 
they don't really have anything really building. And it's like, well, at least we can get a Russell Westbrook in here to entertain everybody for, you know, a half a season or a season. But again, they could say to the Lakers, if you're not going to give us that first, then we'll give you two seconds or like something like that. Like we're not, we're not giving you anything that's, that's a real asset. And that's how starved the Lakers are for anything that they could use as potential trade chips because like Tom laid out perfectly, they, they have nothing. It's just amazing. You know, go back to last year's draft. I mean, when you looked at it, I mean, they almost had that deal done for Buddy Heald, and that would have been such a better fit than Russell Westbrook would have been for that roster. Such a oh, better fit. A thousand percent. But GM LeBron, you know, stuck his nose in there and said he wanted Westbrook. And look where they are now. Yep. Exactly. And I, I really hope for your sake that the Knicks don't go anywhere near him. <laughs> oh, uh, dude, I swear to God, if they do that, whenever they're making that deal, I'm calling in a bomb threat to Madison Square Garden to kill it to clear out the building. <laughs> I'll call in one every single day until they put me in jail to stop that trade. All right. Well, there we have it. only take one day. Our NBA, <laughs> NBA sort of off-season setup here with the guys in the Sorry Interrupt podcast, Sean, Jero, Tom Bacchino. Thanks for coming on, guys. Before I let you go, we'll keep up with your podcast. Oh, we're on everything, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. Also, you can check out the Twitter at Sorry to Interrupt. We put, the, uh, we put the link up there, and I put some winners and some losers up there as well. Tom didn't want to you know, give us any publicity because of his night last night with his best. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for having us on. This was fun. The two minute drill. All right. Two minute drill time. Let's take a look at the new 30 for 30. It came out this week. Dream on a three part documentary about the 1996 women's Olympic basketball team. Timely set of films from ESPN because this is the this month is actually the 50th anniversary of Title IX coming into creation, offering equal access to women's college sports and in general women getting more equal opportunities as men in all sorts of arenas. This documentary does a good job of sort of explaining the backstory of that Olympic basketball team and how important it was to the foundation of the WNBA and paving the way for women's athletes in professional leagues as we know it today. This three hours of this good job because it gives you a chance to really marry a bit with all of the members of this team. Obviously, you get certain more focus on some of the bigger names like Rebecca Lobo, Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, but you just get a little time with everyone. I think it's very nice because this is not a team that, I mean, obviously, you know the big names, but you don't remember some of these other names on the team from 25 years ago. Good to see them get some focus here on this and the little update at the end of how everyone is doing these days. I also thought it was good that they didn't really sugarcoat it for us and let us know that, you know, some of the difficulties and sacrifices that these women had to make in order to open the door for others. The players on the team at the time were paid $50,000 to be a member of the national team, which is pretty much nothing, considering the fact that several of the players said, you know, I was playing overseas, I was getting over $300,000 a year to play overseas. And the fact that the men's team was getting paid basically four or five times that salary to be on the national team. They're talking about stuff how the gym floor they're playing on was not great. The uniforms were not great. They were sharing hotel rooms. They weren't, they were flying coach on flights. They were taking long bus rides while the men were doing first class, like flights everywhere. These are the sacrifices that you made to do this. I was like, they did a good job. They have a lot of this behind-the-scenes footage, sort of similar to the last dance model, where we hadn't really seen a lot of the behind-the-scenes of that 96 women's Olympic team. 
And seeing that doesn't enhance the experience. Though that was good, we got some of these backstories here, including, you know, the head coach, Tara Vanderveer, who is famously Stanford's women's basketball coach, coached that 96 Olympic team. Not a big fan of Rebecca Lobo. Not feel she belonged on the team. We heard Rebecca Lobo herself tell about how she didn't really feel she fit in on the team. We heard about, you know, issues that the players had with the coach. All sorts of good stuff to sort of color in this narrative here and gave you a very good story. And you realize that the success of that team, they do go on to win the gold in Atlanta in 96. They beat Brazil in the final to win the gold medal. That they do pave the way for the WNBA, and that was the big motivator for them to keep going. I mean, they talk about how they'd heard from the NBA in the film that, you know, if this goes well, we are going to invest in a women's wrestling basketball league, which became the WNBA. It's still in existence to this day. It's definitely a lot of fun. I feel like it's the right amount of time, two or three hours. It's not too long. I would have liked to see ESPN you know, spread this over a few days. I get why they didn't because they're dealing with, you know, coverage of the NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals. I want to make sure that this guy's proper moment. They're going to have more documentaries in the coming, coming weeks about uh, the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So, I guess a good recommend. I think you should check it out if you have the time, especially if you are sort of in the basketball mood. I think this is a good one. You get some good information here, and you learn a lot. I think it's very exciting for a documentary like this. And with that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Sean Rowe, Tom Bacchino from the Sorry Interrupt podcast. Been almost 50 minutes talking about the state of the NBA as you get heading to the offseason. Definitely a fun conversation. You want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at What's going on at the LIV Golf Tour? The madness is hanging on there. And why the World Professional Golf really is in a crisis mode because of this. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Let's check out the Sky Guys podcast. As you're listening to this, part five will be is in your podcast fees. The finale is coming up this week. Nick Friad is back with me and Pete Considori to break it all down. This is going to be in the main feed over the weekend. But the finale is going to be a big deal. If you do not want to wait until the weekend to find out what we think of the finale, Subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast, all the podcast platforms I mentioned at the top of the show. They will release same day, and we will have content going on the offseason for Andor Returns in August. So make sure you check out the Sky Guys feed there. Also follow me on Twitter, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And we're going to be back next week. We're going to have some fun. Wimbledon's coming. I'm going to get into the tennis flow. We'll do some more sports as well. Talk, maybe talk a little baseball as well. Until then, have a better week than Celtics fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.